Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When our Lord Jesus was 40 days old, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord in accordance with the Old Testament ceremonial law. The Holy Spirit had revealed to a devout man named Simeon that he would see the Lord's Christ before Simeon dies. Simeon was an elderly man. And so, guided by the Holy Spirit, Simeon came to the temple, and there he saw the baby Jesus, just 40 days old, and he took Jesus up into his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The Holy Spirit guided Simeon to say these words. Simeon is now ready to die. He had seen the fulfillment of the Lord's promise that Jesus, the Savior of the nations, has come. And prophetically, Simeon declares that Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. The season of Epiphany focuses on Christ as our light. Epiphany begins with the Magi, who see a star shining, indicating that the Messiah is born, and they follow this star to the place where Jesus is staying in Bethlehem. And Epiphany ends with our Lord Jesus going with Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain, in which Jesus is transfigured before them, revealing his glory. His clothes become as white as light, and our Lord's face shines like the sun. The season of Epiphany also reveals to us who Jesus is. That Jesus is not like the rest of mankind, for the rest of mankind inherits sin from their sinful parents. But Jesus, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, is born perfect. He is God, and then he reveals himself as God, to the people through his preaching and through his miracles. Jesus, as our gospel begins, is coming down from a mountain. For Jesus had just preached on that mountain throughout Matthew 5, 6, and 7, his Sermon on the Mount. And as he preaches, he's revealing that he himself is God. And in our gospel reading today, we hear that Jesus performs two miracles. He heals a leper by touching and speaking, and he heals a centurion's servant without even being in the presence of that servant, thus revealing that he is God, for only God can perform miracles like these. Epiphany also demonstrates that Jesus did not just come for a certain group of people, but that Jesus came to be the Savior of all nations. Jesus came, as John the Baptist rightly proclaimed, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. Jesus did not just come 
to pay for the sins of his Jewish people. Jesus did not just come to pay for the sins of modern Americans. Jesus did not just die for those who would be capitalists. Jesus did not just die for those who reach adulthood. Jesus did not just die for those people who are of exemplary character, those who are particularly good. And Jesus did not just die for people of a certain color or look. Jesus died instead to take away the sins of all people, from the unborn to the elderly, from Adam onward, from Asia to the Americas to Africa. That is, after all, what Simeon had declared prophetically when he had taken up Jesus into his arms, that Jesus is a light to lighten the Gentiles and that he is the glory of God's people Israel. It had been said, it has been said that if you please, if you try to please everybody, you will please nobody. Elected leaders quickly discover that they cannot both vote both ways on an issue to fulfill the desires of their constituents. When it became clear that Jesus had not just come for the Jewish people, but that Jesus came for all people, many Jews took offense at their own person, their Messiah, Jesus. They wanted instead a Messiah, a Savior, who would rescue them from the Romans and who would rule over them like King David had done previously. They weren't looking for a Savior who would come to take away their sin and redeem them. They thought that they had that part handled themselves. They were looking for an earthly king. In the same way, many today are not looking for Jesus as their savior from their own sin. Many people figure that they don't need forgiveness. When they're called on to repent, they say, why do I need to repent? What harm, what wrong have I done? I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't murdered anybody. And therefore, I am just fine. They figure that they're pretty good people and that God should be pleased most pleased to receive them into his eternal kingdom on account of their own supposed goodness. Instead, they're looking for a God to do other things, to meet other demands of theirs. Instead of forgiving them, maybe a God who will bring about for them social justice or usher in world peace or simply cure ailments or things like that. But as Simeon rightly said, by seeing Jesus... He has seen salvation. For Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, and not just those who are lost among the house of Israel. But Jesus' purpose in coming was to die on the cross and take away the sin of the world. When Jesus performed the miracles in today's gospel, thus revealing his divinity, he was still early in his public ministry. He had, as I just mentioned, preached the Sermon on the Mount. And now, because of this preaching with authority, the crowds are following Jesus. Through our Lord's preaching, many are discovering that Jesus is no ordinary man. And then a leper comes up to Jesus and requests to be healed by him. Jesus, who is the author of life, and who is able to cleanse all from their impurities, 
was able to reach out and touch the unclean leper. Normally, if a person touched an unclean leper or any leper because they're all unclean, they would defile themselves. But in this case, Jesus could touch the unclean leper, and instead of becoming defiled, polluted, Jesus instead purifies the leper. He cleanses him, he removes his impurity and his pollution. And so Jesus, by touching and speaking, cures a man of a disease that to the people had seemed incurable. And this is an amazing sign, an amazing miracle which Jesus performs. But then Jesus does something that is rather peculiar. He, in addition to instructing the man to show himself to the priest so that he can undergo the Old Testament rite of purification and be declared, be, be declared clean, Jesus then says these strange words. He basically says, say nothing to anyone about what just happened. Don't tell people what just took place to you. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus instruct this leper? You would think that Jesus would say, go and tell everyone so that, you can, so that they can be amazed by what has happened to you by, by Jesus. So why did Jesus say, tell nothing to anyone? First, it was not for this leper who had now been cleansed of his leprosy to be a preacher of the word. God had not appointed this leper to do it. God decides whom he sends to be ministers of the word. Now, this does not mean that Christians are forbidden from telling the good news of Jesus to their neighbors. Instead, that is for Christians to do, to tell people privately of the good news of Jesus to their neighbors. Second, telling others about what happened to himself would then be giving himself the glory. He would be drawing attention to himself, which Jesus did not want. And then third, our Lord's primary ministry was not to heal, which certainly offered temporary benefits. And we are certainly grateful whenever people are healed of various afflictions and diseases. But our Lord's primary ministry is to proclaim the word, which does not just bring some sort of temporal relief, but it brings to people the gift of everlasting life and salvation. And so that is our Lord's primary purpose, is the preaching of the saving word. By instructing this leper to go to the priests and fulfill the law of Moses, we know then who Jesus healed. Jesus healed a fellow Jew, one of his own people. But then as Jesus enters into Capernaum, another man approaches Jesus. And St. Matthew identifies who this man is. He is a centurion. Centurions are commanders of a hundred men in the Roman army. And so while the leper would have been an outsider to the Jewish community as long as he suffered from his leprosy, this Gentile Roman citizen was forever considered to be an outsider to the Jews. Remember, the Jews did not want the Romans ruling over them, and so they did not want people like this centurion in their midst. But Jesus, who loves all people, did not look down at this centurion for his heritage or for his vocation as a Roman commander in the Roman army. Instead, Jesus, by his very nature, 
has compassion on this man. He has compassion on him. What's the problem? He has a servant who is paralyzed and is severely afflicted. And so Jesus, in compassion, in love, according to our Lord's very nature, engages this man. Jesus is willing to go to the centurion servant's home and heal the servant. When the centurion admits, though, that he is not worthy to have Jesus under his roof, Jesus exclaims, Truly I tell you, I have not found such faith in all Israel. And then Jesus declares to the centurion, Go, let it be for you as you have believed. And at that very moment, that servant, who was not in the presence of Jesus, is healed. This action of Jesus would have scandalized the Jews. They did not want the Messiah to do anything to benefit the Gentiles, but instead to do everything to benefit the Jews. Jesus' loving action shows that some will always be scandalized when he does the right thing. And yet, his action is nothing new. We can see that when we look at our Old Testament lesson. For in our Old Testament lesson, we hear of another Gentile man who is suffering. This man is a man by whom God had blessed to give victory to the Syrians against God's own people as a form of punishment for the Israelites for turning against the Lord. This man is named Naaman. He is a leper. He is a commander in the Syrian army. He is very close to the Syrian king. Syria and Israel regularly warred against each other, and in one of their battles, what happens? A Syrian, the Syrians capture this little Israelite girl. They bring her home to their home, and she becomes a servant to Naaman's wife. This girl, seeing that Naaman has leprosy, tells her master, Naaman's wife, about this prophet in Israel who could heal Naaman of his leprosy. And when the prophet Elisha receives this request, Elisha prescribes what Naaman must do, that Naaman needs to go to the Jordan River and dip in it seven times, and then Naaman will be cleansed of this seemingly incurable disease known as leprosy. When Naaman is told what he must do, he becomes upset. He did not want to dip in the lowly Jordan River seven times. He thought it'd be better, first of all, if Elisha the prophet would just simply face him and perform this grand miracle in his presence. But if that's not going to happen, he thought, well, then let me dip in a far grander river, one of these two rivers in Syria, because they're far better than this little creek known as the Jordan. So he takes offense at what Elisha says that he must do. But a servant to Naaman reasons with Naaman, saying, is this not a wondrous word which the prophet has spoken to you? Has he not told you that you will be cleansed of your leprosy if you do this simple thing of dipping into the Jordan River seven times? Then why not go out and do as you are told? At this, Naaman does what Elisha had told him to do. And miraculously, at the hand of God, 
Naaman is now cured, cleansed of his leprosy. This is amazing on two counts, probably more, but I'm going to mention two. First, it teaches us something about the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in baptism. Something that, for God would not institute baptism for another 800 years. Now, when we see people brought to the baptismal font, it seems rather insignificant. A pastor says a few words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He sprinkles water on the head of the one being baptized three times. It goes by so quickly. It's, it's soon over. And it doesn't look like anything changes. The one thing that might seem to happen is the baby goes from being happy and content to a little uncomfortable with this water now being applied to the baby's head. So to the human eye, from the surface, it doesn't seem like much. It seems like something ordinary, something regular, just like dipping in the Jordan River seven times would have been to any onlooker witnessing what Naaman was doing. But for anyone who would have witnessed Naaman, they would have seen that he came out of the river totally cleansed of his leprosy, completely healed by the hand of God. And in our own baptism, God is at work. He joins us to himself in baptism. We are united to the death of Jesus and to the resurrection of Jesus. We are cleansed of all of our sin. We, are, we die to sin and we rise to newness of life. And so, just as God was at work through the waters of the Jordan and cleansed Naaman of his leprosy, so also God is at work when sinners are baptized into Christ, for they are cleansed of all their sin in baptism. That gift belongs to you as well. The second amazing aspect of this miracle, which happens in our Old Testament reading, is who it is for. Many people falsely surmise that the entire Old Testament is all about Israel and only for the Jews. But in this case, we can see that God's divine and healing hand occurred to someone who was outside of the Jewish community. In fact, someone who was warring against the Jewish community. This man, Naaman, is a commander of a foreign army. And the works of God, therefore, we see amazingly are not just reserved for those who may consider themselves to be a special people, but they are for all people. And this includes you. God has never left you out when he commanded for all nations to be baptized. God has never left you out when he sent his son to pay for the sins of the entire world. God has never left you out when he said that he promises to hear the prayers of all who would call upon him. God has never left you out when, he, when Jesus promised to prepare a place in heaven for all who believe in him. Many are not pleased by this universal work of God. Some churches have even come up with the idea that God sent Jesus to only pay for those whom he would save. But the reality is God the Father sent his son to pay for the sins of the entire world. Those who are saved are those who receive this, these blessings by grace through faith. Many want God to simply be the Messiah for just a few select people. We see that in history with the Jewish people at the time of Christ. 
but instead of simply trying to hoard the gospel promise to just a few people, or like what we are apt to do in our day. We often think that Christianity is all about America and about our own country, and we don't think about Christianity too much beyond our borders. So instead of simply trying to hoard the gospel promise to ourselves, we rejoice in the gospel's height and width and depth, and that it is for all people of all time. We rejoice that there is no sin that Jesus left out when he died on the cross. We rejoice that there is no sinner excluded from Christ's all-availing, all-sufficient sacrifice on the cross. We rejoice that Jesus has come for all and that he loves all. He has come to bring light to all people. We rejoice that he also hears the prayers of all who believe in him. Jesus heard the leper's prayer and cleansed him of his leprosy. He heard the centurion's prayer and and healed the, the centurion's servant. Jesus also hears the prayers that you bring before your Lord, and he answers them all in accordance to his good and gracious will. Sometimes God in his wisdom will not answer our prayers according to what we want. Sometimes we will face affliction for prolonged periods of time. We've been praying Sunday after Sunday that God would be with those who are affected by the coronavirus, that he would end the pandemic, and now it's been here in this world for over two years. We may not receive the healing that we are always looking for, but God's grace is sufficient for us, and we are made perfect in weakness. God will remain with us, even as we face the afflictions that he sends. And God has promised that he will get us through the afflictions that we face. And even if we should die in our afflictions, we still, because of God's grace, die in the Lord, for he will receive us into his eternal kingdom. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Therefore, in all things we rejoice, we pray, and we trust in him, that he, that, and, and we give all glory to him, he does all things well. He cleanses the lepers, forgives sinners, and has even come for the Gentiles. He not only does things well for some, but he does things well for all, even you, his saints. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Thank you.